Firmly Grounded. In episode 7, we had the privilege of speaking with former St. Olaf College head coach and quarterbacks coach for the Washington Redskins, Chris Might. Chris Might shares with us his experiences in the game of football, ranging from his days in a small Minnesotan town to being the head coach of a successful Division III football program to coaching in the NFL. Coach also details his philosophy for building a successful program and outlines his qualities for successful quarterback play at any level. While no longer active in the coaching profession, Coach Might's story and journey provide a guide for younger coaches who strive to have balance in their personal, social, professional, and spiritual lives. If you have time, coaches, let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on one of our podcasting platforms, either iTunes or Stitcher. And for all previous episodes and to read our weekly blog posts posted on Sundays, you can always visit us at our website at igfootballcoach.com. All right, I'm here with Coach Chris Might, who is the former St. Olaf head coach and Washington Redskins assistant. Coach, uh, for those who are not familiar with, with you, can you please introduce yourself to us? You bet, Brian. Thanks for uh, having me on for a few minutes today. So uh, I am now the CEO of a group called Northwest Partners. I retired from coaching uh, full-time and when we ended up our stint with the Washington Redskins, although I coached for a couple of seasons with Dwight Lundin at Becker uh, when my boy was finishing up high school. But other than that, I'm now a retired football coach. Awesome, Coach. In your own uh, personal background, you were quite the accomplished high school quarterback back at Minneota High School in the late 1980s. And for our listeners who are unfamiliar with the Minneota area, that's in southwest Minnesota, nearby the Marshall area. Uh, what made your time at Minneota so successful, and, and how did that success impact your future endeavors? Well, I tell you what, if, if you don't know where Minneota is, uh, you're not alone. It's a town of about 1,400 uh, great place to grow up is kind of the all-American experience. Uh, my dad was my head football coach. He was also the superintendent and the choir director and the community ed director and directed the musical uh, orchestra pit crew. So uh, small town, small administration, uh, got a chance to do a lot of things. So pretty special group of guys I, I went through high school with. Sure. And coach, what got you started into coaching? You know, having um, played for my dad and being uh, uh, just crazy about football from a young age, um, it just seemed pretty natural for me. I used to diagram plays um, instead of doing homework. And, in fact, when I went back from my reunion here last fall, teachers commented on the, on the fact that uh, I usually didn't even sign my homework because there's plays written all over it. Uh, so football is kind of a passion for me. Um, uh, to say it was in my blood is probably an understatement. It's really what I thought about. I kind of lived it, breathed it. Uh, so it was uh, a true passion of mine. You mentioned your dad as being one of the big influences in your coaching path. Was there any other coaches along your stops that may have influenced you in your coaching career? You know, I've been very fortunate, uh, obviously playing for my dad. Uh, at Bethel, I played for Phil Gennaro, who was only there for a year, but that was influential, a uh, little Italian guy, but brilliant and uh, uh, hard-driven, very passionate. Then I had the chance to play for Steve Johnson, who uh, was one of my best friends uh, in or out of football, wonderful man, taught me a lot about how to love the guys in your program. Um, I got the chance to be mentored um, by Dwight Lundeen, who I coached with. Um, when I got the head job at St. Olaf, Tom Porter became a, a great friend of mine and, and another mentor to me. I married into football. My wife is Allison Rostberg from Hutchinson, uh, 
Hmm. So Grady Rossberg's my father-in-law. So, you know, I've been fortunate. I've had, I would say, four or five men in my life who really um, not only great football guys, but more importantly, great men, men of faith, uh, that really impacted the way I look at the game. Uh, and then beyond that, I had a chance to coach in the NFL with Jim Zorn, who's a great man. Sherman Smith, who I would consider really one of my spiritual mentors in life, um, was a part of that time. So I've been fortunate, Brian. I've been surrounded by, by just a lot of great men who uh, invested heavily in me. Absolutely. And some of your, you've had a variety of different coaching stops, like you've kind of walked us through. Uh, in terms of Minnesota high school, you've had stops at Columbia Heights and also Becker um, before you head back to Bethel to serve on their staff. Uh, what did you enjoy most about teaching at the high school level, and what did these experiences teach you? Well, you know, the thing at Columbia Heights is unique um, in that I was their offensive coordinator as a junior and senior in college. And I was also playing quarterback at Bethel my, my senior year. So probably not many guys doing that in the state. Uh, it made for interesting uh, uh, game plan sessions as I was faxing over blocking sheets for Columbia Heights as I was studying our game plan to play Gustavus. So um, that's how much of a football junkie I was. I kind of studied on the side, but it was mostly football. Mm -hmm. So that was a great chance. We won our section my second year at Columbia Heights. And, you know, I was barely older than those kids and uh, made to the state final four, which for Columbia Heights was miraculous. Matt Townsend was my quarterback who went on to be the AD and football coach at Columbia Heights when he returned. So uh, a great youngster. And uh, then I was at, at Becker for a couple of years. My wife was a head uh, girls basketball coach. And of course, Dwight wasn't going to let me not coach. And so I was coordinator there for a couple of years. And I had his son, Matt, uh, played for me for a year. And uh, went on to Bethel, and then I had Corey Stanger, played for me for a year. Uh, and then I went on to Bethel as a coordinator. Matt was a three-year starter for me uh, at that time. And then Corey Stanger wanted to play at St. John's. Uh, and then, as, as the Lord would have, as I returned to Becker 20 years later, I had Corey's son, Andrew, uh, was my son Alex's best friend. And uh, Andrew is our quarterback, and Alex is his top receiver uh, when we won our second state championship. So, a lot of great connections, and that's part of the great thing being in high school football is you're really impacting these people for uh, uh, for their lifetime. And, and if you do it the right way and coach the right way, you can win on the field, but more importantly, you can develop people of some character and faith off the field that's going to carry them uh, much further than their arm or their legs will. Absolutely. And coach, after your stop at Bethel, you moved on to become the head coach of St. Olaf College in Northfield, Minnesota. Uh, I got to experience you as a head coach. I myself am a Gustavus graduate. Uh, I went there from 2007 to 2011. So I got to see the product that you put on the field and, and it was quite impressive. And I say that as the most unbiased way I possibly can. Um, your team's always had a prolific offense and they always finished among the best in the MIAC year in and year out. So the question is, and they've fallen on a little bit of hard times as of late, but what was the key to the success when you were there? Well, uh, it, without question, it's talent. And to have talent at the college level, you have to recruit. Um, and so I, re I recruited hard and heavy and long. Uh, I would do three home visits in a night wow. was what my offseason looked like. So I did things differently than what had been done uh, in the league. And uh, in order for us to win, though, I had to because I had to have talent. And I can recruit. And there's only one of me, so I, I just maximized my time. And so we were efficient. We got in front of a lot of kids. 
Uh, we had a good process, but I did all the home visits. And so my wife's uh, an incredible woman, incredibly supportive, my number one fan. And um, she knew if we we're going to win, I had to have players. Mm-hmm. And so she knew I was going to be gone most nights, which starting the off season, I was um, doing nothing but visiting schools and visiting homes, mostly homes. And we had great talent. So I had the greatest class, maybe one of my ex greatest class was uh, were seniors in that 2007 season. They went 24 and six in their three years. And those six losses were by a combined few points. And uh, yeah, we went eight and two, three straight years. And just by a bad hop here and there, we lost a game each year that uh, we maybe were better than, uh, but we didn't win it. And so because of that, we never had a chance to play in the national playoffs. You know, all those three of those teams finished in the top five in the country in offense and in scoring, and uh, it's really too bad. Never got a chance to make the playoffs. Obviously, it's a professional regret of mine, and and for those kids never to have the chance to play in the national playoffs was something that um, you sure wish you could change, but but you can't. You know, one of the great things about being at St. Olaf, though, was the tradition and the alumni, and uh, that's probably what I'm proudest of was the number of alumni that we got back into the program. If if you remember uh, your freshman year, you're at playing at St. Olaf, mm-hmm. and it was homecoming. And I think we had about 5,000 people there. We had alumni tent on one end with the charcoal going from 9 in the morning. It was uh, hundreds and hundreds of former players were there. Um, we had a big win that day. We played well. Uh, Matt Penn's threw six touchdowns. Andrew Schmiesen caught four of them. Horace Gant, the other two. And uh, it was kind of a special day for me. It was my last homecoming at St. Olaf, and Tom Porter was there and his family, and Jim Dimmick and Bob Gelly, and really all of the legends of St. Olaf. And it was really a great way to wrap up uh, my time on the Hill. And, Coach, you, you talked about some of the different keys to being successful at a small, you know, Division three football college. It's kind of a unique experience. You definitely said that, you know, talent and recruiting is definitely the lifeblood of any program at any level. But was there any other keys that you think are successful to building a program at the Division three level? Well, really, if you can't recruit, you can't win. So um, that is, without question, the number one piece to get talent. Um, but let's just say, which the Mayak isn't, but let's just say you have a balanced talent, then it becomes how efficient can you be with your time and your staff? How many coaches you have? How efficient are you with your organization? How well do you know your system, your scheme? Um, those are the pieces I think then become the next part because a lot of people have good talent and still don't win. Um, but without talent, you just can't win. And so it's what you do with your talent. You know, I think uh, Coach Caruso at St. Thomas um, does an excellent job of that. He he micromanages his practice down to increments and, and every last detail, and that's what you have to do. If you want to have a great team, you've got to coach every last detail uh, so your kids are never entering a field not prepared. From all your experiences at a Division three level, Coach, what are some of the things that you enjoyed most about it? And it might not necessarily be uh, football related, but what are some of the things you enjoyed most, and then maybe what are some things you didn't enjoy the most? Yeah, without question, the relationships with the alumni was one of my favorite things. They're still some of my best friends today. Uh, relationships with the guys. I went out to uh, one of their weddings two years ago, and there's 40 guys from that team that were at the wedding. And, you know, when I would recruit them, without home visit, I would commit to their mom and dad that I was going to help their boy grow up to be a man and that he would uh, be playing with guys who would be the best friends for the rest of his life. They'd be in each other's weddings. They would support each other when they had kids um and so for me it was neat to be able to go back to a wedding and actually see that come to fruition so i love the relationships we had great kids 
Um, incredible alumni. I would say that without question was my highlight. And the fact my family could be so intimately involved. My dad coached with me uh, for at, well, first at Bethel, then at St. Olaf. Uh, my, my little boy uh, was up at practice all the time. Those are the things that I remember and, and love. The challenge at Division Three is just such lack of resources, uh, at the time lack of facilities, um, what you generally call institutional support, very hard. There's only one St. Thomas, there's only one St. John's, there's not a lot of others like that in D Division Three that have that type of institutional support behind it. And so when you're not one of those two, it, it, you're, it's an uphill battle all the time, um, trying to compete and get to that level playing field. And you always feel like you're you're treading water on the deep end of the pool, never quite um, able to catch up. And coach, following your, your time at St. Olaf, you got the opportunity to go coach in the NFL with the Washington Redskins. Uh, share with our listeners how that opportunity arose and how difficult was it for you to leave St. Olaf after you'd spent so much time and effort rebuilding that program? Um, so how I got there, Jim Zorn had become a good friend of mine. He was coaching quarterbacks at the University of Minnesota. I was getting my MBA there at the time, and Corey Sodder was his quarterback. Corey had played high school football for Grady Rosberg and Hutchinson, and so I'd gotten to know Corey since he was a, a young kid and did quarterback camps with him and some other things. So I kind of got to know Corey through Grady and worked with him quite a bit, and then through Corey got to know Jim at the U of M, and, and I would work their summer camps with Jim. So we got to know each other, and then when he left, um, he ended up, um, in Detroit for a couple of years, quarterbacks coach of the Lions and then with the Seahawks. Well, my off season, I always planned two trips to go study technical aspects of football. Um, I would never just show up, say, let's talk football. I, there was something specific I wanted to study. And so I did that with Jim. When I went out to Detroit, I wanted to study their six man protection, how they scanned to handle nickel pressure, and then what they did from a drive route concept. So I went out to Detroit, and called him, said, can I come out? And he said, sure. In fact, why don't you just stay with me? And that started really a deeper friendship than what we had to use. So I studied with him at Detroit, flew out to Seattle, did the same thing two different times. Um, and you know, once I had access to that much film, it was, um, I locked myself away and um, just great, great times with Jim and his family. And so that's really when Washington happened. Um, Jim and I had never coached together. He had just followed what we had done at Bethel and at St. Olaf through our relationship and um, asked if um, I would be interested in ever coaching with him and um, never thinking that would happen. You know, you're always um, thinking that, you know, what's next? Well, it's probably um, staying at St. Olaf. And so your second part, leaving St. Olaf, uh, it, was, it was incredibly hard. In fact, I told Jim no uh, when he called the first time. And I just, I just couldn't see leaving. And then he called again and he had just been named head coach. And uh, my wife was the one that said, well, I think the Lord's hitting you with a two by four now. Um, it's, it's time to go. Yeah. And so I, I resigned on, on, uh, on February 12th and on February 14th, Valentine's Day, I was on an airplane um, flying out to Washington, D.C. So what was it like coaching the NFL and how was it different than your stops in college and in high school? Well, in the NFL, it's interesting how little control you have on the outcome of the game. Uh, a lot of coaches, so you go from having a staff of three of you full-time and five part-time guys who come in after teaching and your dad to a staff of 15 guys where I have a quarterback room with three quarterbacks. 
um, completely different from running the entire program and making sure the, the sprinkler timers are set right and checking on the uniforms and ordering equipment, make sure you have meals for the bus, um, to worrying just simply about how those three are learning the game and playing the game. Um, you get to go a lot deeper. You spend a lot more time studying. Um, so I thoroughly enjoyed the technical aspects of it. Um, I learned a lot about being a part of a large staff, which I'd never done. Um, and so those are all neat, neat experiences, but it's fundamentally different because the, the one who impacts the, the game is just simply the play caller on offense. And then your playmakers making plays. Um, that's what the NFL is. So you could coach quarterbacks and do a great job all week, but you get to game day and you have no impact on the outcome. And, you know, that was a little frustrating for me. I'd been calling plays since the 10th grader in high school. So I really felt like I understood how to move the football and, um, to not have a direct impact in the game, that was, that was different. It was good for me, but it was different. Sure, and I'm sure there's many stories you could tell about your time in the NFL. What was one of the most gratifying experiences you had during your stay in Washington? You know, I think it was the relationships, again, becoming really close with Joe Bugle, uh, Sherman Smith, uh, Stump Mitchell, uh, Greg Blosh, and then the players, Jason Campbell, just a wonderful, wonderful young man, still a friend of mine today. Chase Daniel, uh, who we picked up on Missouri, Colt Brennan. We had Todd Collins, uh, Chris Cooley, number of wonderful, wonderful people, um, people that you love to have your kids around. They treated them incredibly well. Um, you know, they're the group I still stay in touch with today. Um, still pick up the phone and call Sherman once a month. Um, stay in touch with Jim. So, I mean, I, I would say those relationships. And, and then what spurned from that, the other relationships with other um, coaches around the league that you got to meet because you know the NFL is a fraternity and there's not many guys in there so there's a it's very supportive it's not quite like the rivalry of college because um, when you're in the league you're going to get fired every two years and, and you need a lot of friends to stay in uh, so that part was pretty awesome a couple guys are with Minnesota now we're good Jerry Gray who coaches corners from Minnesota is doing an incredible job uh, with that group. And then they brought in Todd Downing this year, a good friend of mine, uh, to work as pass game specialist. And he'll be a great asset to that staff. So uh, certainly the relationships uh, were the highlight for me. You talked about a couple different times throughout the, the interview here that your last and most recent stop uh, was at Becker High School for legendary coach Dwight Lundeen, where you also had the opportunity to coach your son. I had the privilege of serving under his son, Matt, at Redwood Valley from 2012 to 2015 and was fortunate enough to meet Dwight on several occasions and I can say with the utmost honesty he's a very special man and an unbelievable coach what was it like to work with a coach of his pedigree and how has he influenced you as a coach and as a man you know I was with Dwight for two years back in 93 and 94 when Matt was playing um, and so I've known Dwight for a long time in fact I first met him in 1985 when he brought his Becker team to Minneota. They're ranked number one in the state. And uh, we beat him 24 to zero in a blizzard. And uh, ever since then, he was so wonderful to me after the game. And uh, Matt and Mike couldn't forgive me, but Dwight was wonderful. So we've been dear friends for a long time. He's run FCA there, and that's why I knew to seek him out after the game, because I knew he ran FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so I knew he would be different, and I wasn't disappointed. So he's been probably uh, – you know, I talked about the mentors in my life. He's been like another dad. He's watched out for myself and Alice, and he's 
he's been on my sideline many times when I was at Bethel and when I was at St. Olaf. Um, Dwight's been up and down the sideline with me. And so he's really a great friend, even more than, than the football side is just the, the mutual encouragement um, and the impact he has on kids. You know, he's um, all about developing the total person and working on their character and their faith every bit as much as working on their football. And along with that, Coach, when you served under Dwight in this last occasion, you had a chance to coach your son. How, what was it like for you personally to coach your son? Yeah, it was probably my favorite two years of coaching. You know, I was done coaching. I was good being done. I, I, I had Football had been incredible to me, and I had given a lot to football, and I had poured my heart and soul into it. So I was ready to move on to other things. But, you know, when uh, Dwight – and I told Dwight that, that, uh, you know, I, I'm good just being a fan, and Dwight wasn't good with that. He said, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll always regret it if you don't help us win back-to-back state titles and your son has to exit early. <laughs> well, what do you say to that? Yeah. Uh, so I told him I'd be all in for two years and we'd win back-to-back state titles, and, and it's what we did. You know, I worked at it uh, as much full-time as I could and all aspects of the game. And so we had, you know, we, we got pretty um, detailed and sophisticated with what we did. And a couple of great quarterbacks, Michael Veldman, who's at Gustavus now, um, who's a great quarterback. I, I got my first year and then I had Andrew Stanger. And so I was able to do things offensively that was pretty unique because of the talent we had. And, um, and then of course, Alex's senior year, we just had an incredible group. And so that was really fun as we schemed up, um, what we did with, with those kids and how we did it. So, and being with my boy every day, he's a special kid. We all think our kids special, but he's just a, a wonderful, sweet, um, son. So, um, always ask me how my day was before I could ever ask him. So it, that was special having every day with him at about four thirty uh, through those two falls. Absolutely. Coach. And it's good to hear stories like that. It's really what makes the coaching profession special amongst many other things. Um, and you've mentioned throughout your, your, your interview that you've spent a lot of time on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you've yourself played quarterback, but then also you've been working with quarterbacks at various levels. What qualities do you believe are essential for any successful quarterback at any level? Well, you have to be accurate. If you can't hit what you're throwing at, you can't play quarterback. Um, I think people get too enamored with height and ball speed and spirals. Uh, anyone who knows me uh, knows I didn't throw a lot of spirals in my career. Um, that wasn't my game. My game was hitting what I was throwing at and throwing on time. And so accuracy without question is number one. And, and if they could throw accurately, then you need someone who will compete who's going to give every last inch of breath they have to will their team downfield. Because uh, that position's unique in that he's going to touch, touch the ball every play. Um, so if, if I can only have two traits as those, then if I get to choose more, well, then I want ball speed and I want quickness and foot speed and all those other things. But the first one, you have to be accurate. you got to hit what you're throwing at, and then you have to want to win. You, you have to have that will to compete that's uh, among the top on the field. I'll take this a little bit step further. We're just going to play a hypothetical here and say that you had free reign to run the offense of your dreams with the ideal personnel of your choice. So if that's the case, what type of offense would you run? Pretty much what you saw in 2007 because it's pretty much what I did. You know, I, I ran what I wanted to run, and I had the players to do it. I had as much talent as, as I could have at the Division Three, And, um, you know, so we are a combination. We go from 10 personnel to 31 on any given down sequence. So every number in between, I went from one back and four receivers to three backs and one receiver and everything in between. I was 
I used 20 some kids a game on offense. Um, we had multiple packages. We had personnel groupings. Uh, so much fun. Got so many kids involved, and uh, that's what I believe in. I am. We did the same thing at Becker. We'd go from 10 personnel to 31, and uh, and and have packages for kids to get them in the game and get them involved and use their skills. But without question, it's having having four great receivers, three great running backs, and then use them all. How important is it to be able to switch uh, different personnel groups throughout the course of a game? And what kind of stress do you think that puts on a defense? Well, I think defensively, it's, it's really hard. You know, you mentioned my backgrounds in offense, but all I've done is study defense. And so, you know, as soon as if you study defense, you understand the strength, weakness of it once you get your matchups understood. And so schematically, there's just different things they're going to struggle with. So when you go from 10 personnel to 31, you go from tight splits with, with five guys to wide splits with an eight-man blocking surface. It's, it's an entirely different game. And if they're not going to personnel match you, you're going to force their corner to cover vertical route one play and then cover a D-gap power the next. And, and that's a hard fit uh, for a kid. So I think um, if you personnel match, then you've got to be quick on your feet knowing what we're going with with our personnel group. Um, if you're not going to personnel match and keep the same 11 on defense, you're going to have to get kids to play a lot of different techniques and alignments uh, in a game. Now, if offensively you don't understand all your groups and all your schemes and all your things don't do it, because you're going to create nothing but chaos for yourself. But but if you do, I think it's um, I think it's a great way to get a lot of kids in the game and get the ball in a lot of different kids' hands. And Coach, if you had to say like there is a specific pass concept or a, a preferred run concept, if, if you had one of each from your time, whether it be at Olaf or even in, at, with the Redskins or at Bethel, what is your favorite concept or run play that you went to and got a lot of mileage out of? Well, I, I think in the run game for me, it was always a G scheme, whether it was counter tray or whether it was belly um, or whether it was power, um, having our guards on the move. And so, you know, those three plays I just described is probably the base of what we did in my running game career. So um, I'm not a zone guy. You know, Joe Bugle is all zone and I'm just uh, I'm more of a G scheme, whether it's same side or far, far side in the run game. And then in the past game, gas, I, you know, I, there's no such thing as just one, but, um, for me, you know, as a player, if I could have only had one, I was going to throw a three-step fade against almost anything. If you're off, I'm going to throw it back shoulder. If you're tight, I'm going to throw it quick. If you're off, but I can get by you, I'm going to press on three and throw a deep. So, you know, back in 1986, we threw the fade, uh, maybe a third of our plays and we threw every very variation off it just because of, Again, being accurate and throwing it where they're not. It wasn't like we schemed or anything else. It's just we're going to run three-step fade, and if they bail, they'll throw it back shoulder, and if they're tight, they'll throw it quick, and if they're off, I'll press and and throw it deep. And, um, you know, that would be the one as a player that I would have as a coach. Um, It would be some type of levels concept, whether it's vertical levels or sideline levels where you get deep, medium, short. Sure. And coach, we're going to bring this back around full circle. And since you've been away from coaching, what do you miss most about it? Um, uh, you know, people ask me all the time. I really don't miss coaching. I really don't. I'm CEO of a company that's growing and, and that's, I'm kind of coaching every day. Um, and it's the people that make coaching special. And, and now I've got a, a company of 300 people and, and that's special because of the, the relationships and the people I get to work with and develop, you know, the technical side of the game, um, the Lord's been good that 
you know, that was incredibly my passion for as long as I can remember. And uh, when I left the NFL, it kind of left me that, that desire to be in it every second, uh, which I'm thankful for. There's some guys who leave the game and it eats them, eats at them and eats at them. And uh, for me, it really does. Yeah, but the people, you know, and I'm still around the people. I still get the people side of it. So I don't feel like I'm missing anything or that I'm, I'm lacking anything. Uh, one final question, kind of follow up with that. And all of your years of, of coaching football and playing football, you, I'm sure you've learned countless life lessons and, and also lessons about, you know, the technical aspects of, of the football game. In terms of all the lessons that you've learned, what has the game of football taught you? Well, you have to keep going. You're going to lose. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to – the play's not going to work as designed. you got to keep going. Um, that tenacity, that will to win, that per- sense of perseverance, a little toughness, character, integrity. I mean, that's what football teaches. And it's the greatest microcosm of life uh, that the Lord ever created. You know, it's a game where every play you're going to – there's winners and losers. Um, and you can individually win, and as a team you lose that play, and you got to be able to reconcile that. And what a great preparation for the workforce. I tell you, I'm looking to hire athletes all the time, particularly football guys, because I know they know how to lose, and then they know how to get up and, and fight again. Um, there's too many times that, that people don't lose or someone makes an excuse for why they lost, and uh, they don't learn how to deal with it. And learning how to deal with failure is one of life's great lessons. And that's football. And, you know, thankfully, I didn't lose a lot. I, I'm, um, I was blessed to be on a lot of winning teams. But um, even when you break it down to a play level, you, you're going to lose. And you have what it takes to regroup, rally the guys around you, and, and play harder and better. Or do you blame, point fingers, think of someone else to make an excuse for? Um, that's what le- I think football's taught me. And, and all the guys I've played with, I think, would probably say the same thing. Well, Coach, as is tradition on our podcast, uh, one of the things we like to do, ask at the end of the interview, is a kind of a random question that really has nothing to do with football. But let's just hypothetically say that you are a baseball player or a professional wrestler and you had to name your walk-up song what would your walk-up song be uh welcome to my house i think that would be uh how i'd be walking in <laughs> any reason behind it my well it's just because i like the tune and you know if you're going to step on the field you got to feel like it's your house that, that everyone's visiting if if you're five nine and three quarters and not very fast you can't throw a spiral you better think it's your house or you better go home because <laughs> you're going to get your butt kicked. So you better have a little chip on your shoulder. My life song though would be amazing. Grace. That would be my true walk-up song that, uh, that is a much better, um, uh, song that captures my life. Uh, uh, amazing grace. Um, how sweet the sound. So that would be, uh, I think a better song for me. Well, coach, I really appreciate your time today. And I really appreciate learning about your story and all the knowledge that you shared with our coaches and our listeners. Um, we're very thankful to have you on and I hope you got out of as much of this as we did. So I just want to say thank you very much. You bet, Brent. Thank you. It's fun to be able to visit. If you found this podcast helpful, please take the time to go and leave a review either on Stitcher or iTunes and let us know what you think.